Hi there, and can you believe it's another week uh, gone by and we are ready to take a look at the next uh, section in Job. Uh, so last week we looked at uh, particularly Job's response uh, and we saw the strong words that Job used in his response to Bildad and to the rest of the friends for that matter. Uh, and what we saw is the ending and we're just going to quickly glance at that. Job 19, verse 28 and 29, Job said this, If you say how we will hound him, since the root of trouble lies in him, you should fear the sword yourselves, for wrath will bring punishment by the sword, and then you will know that there is judgment. And so the final words of what Job says to his friends here, is that they need to be careful because if they don't keep their pride and their, their what they are doing to Job in check, uh, they are going to sin. And ultimately, they're going to have to give an account before God that they will face judgment for their sin. Uh, and it's on that that we really jump into the next section of Job. It's on that note that we pick up what Zophar has to say. And the reason why I'm using that as the starting point, not only because it, it precedes the passage that we are going to look at today, but it picks up, Zophar's words pick up what Job has done uh, in the previous discourse. So if you turn to, to Job 20, uh, we, I'm going to read that passage for us um, today. And uh, let's take a look and see how uh, Zophar responds. Verse 1. Then Zophar the Namathite replied, My troubled thoughts prompt me to answer because I am greatly disturbed. I hear a rebuke that dishonors me, and my understanding inspires me to reply. Surely you know how it has been from of old, ever since mankind was placed on the earth, that the mirth of the wicked is brief, the joy of the godless lasts but a moment. Though the pride of the godless person reaches to the heavens and his head touches the clouds, he will perish forever like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? Like a dream, he flies away, no more to be found, banished like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will not see him again. His place will look on him no more. His children must make amends to the poor. His own hands must give back his wealth. The youth vigor that fills his bones will lie with him in the dust. Though evil is sweet in his mouth and he hides it under his tongue, though he cannot bear to let it go and lets it linger in his mouth, yet his food will turn sour in his stomach. It will become the venom of serpents within him. He will spit out the riches he swallowed. God will make his stomach vomit them up. He will suck the poison of serpents. The fangs of an adder will kill him. He will not enjoy the streams, the rivers flowing with honey and cream. What he toiled for, he must give back uneaten. He will not enjoy the profit from his trading. For he has oppressed the poor and left them destitute. He has seized houses he did not build. Surely he will have no respite from his craving. 
He cannot save himself by his treasures. Nothing is left for him to devour. His prosperity will not endure. In the midst of his plenty, distress will overtake him. The full force of his misery will come upon him. When he has filled his belly, God will vent his burning anger against him and rain down his blows on him. Though he flees from an iron weapon, a bronze-tipped arrow pierces him. He pulls it out of his back, the gleaming point out of his liver. Terrors will come over him. Total darkness lies in wait for his treasures. A fire unfanned will consume him and devour what is left in his tent. The heavens will expose his guilt. The earth will rise up against him. A flood will carry off his house, rushing waters on the day of God's wrath. Such is the fate God allots the wicked, the heritage appointed for them by God. And so this is the passage that we are looking at today. Uh, Zophar's response off the backdrop of what Job has said. Not only did Job uh, in many ways challenge them in their, their pride, in their sinfulness, in, in the way they are approaching him. But you can see what Zophar is saying here is, is challenging now what Job has said. That Job is facing hardship uh, for no reason. Uh, Job, in the previous section, uh, used this phrase in Job 19 verse 6, Then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. And that obviously not saying that God has done something wrong, but that what God has done is, in light of who Job is, in light of his circumstance, is not a result of his wickedness. It is purely that God has permitted it to happen. And this will be part of what has upset Zophar so much. And notice how he begins uh, in what he says there from uh, verse 2. He says, My troubled thoughts prompt me to answer because I am greatly disturbed. My troubled thoughts prompt me to answer because I am greatly disturbed. Disturbed. So firstly, he is greatly disturbed by what he's hearing Job saying. He's disturbed by the way in which Job is thinking and reasoning about things. He is disturbed by the fact that Job has made a claim to say that this that he's facing comes from God, but not that he deserves it. Um, but furthermore, he is disturbed for another reason. Notice what he says in verse 3. I hear a rebuke that dishonors me. And may and my understanding inspires me to reply. So notice how he's gone about it. First and foremost, he is saying, I hear a rebuke that dishonors me. I mean, if anything, he could have said, I hear a rebuke, but let me challenge it. But the fact that he adds in that this rebuke dishonors me, he's insinuating that what Job has said, the rebuke that Job has given him, uh, that Job has made to both uh, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, is an offense to him as a person, and that there is something in him that is dishonored. And so this kind of reveals to us that uh, Bildad, Zophar, as well as Eliphaz, can't receive a rebuke from a person that is in Job's position. And what makes this interesting is what Job said in Job 19, verse 5. It says, 
if indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me. Uh, and then he goes to quote six, which we already read. So Job up front had, had made this comment by saying that there is an issue here of them exalting themselves above him because of his position, because of what's happened, because of his suffering. And here in verse 3 of, of Zophar's response in, in Job 20 verse 3, you immediately see that he feels dishonored um, because of this. He says, I hear a rebuke that dishonors me. Why does it dishonor him? Is it because it comes from a place where the person that is suffering and in hardship is speaking perhaps truth and that a person in that position doesn't have the right to speak. And so it actually adds uh, insult to injury on what Job had originally said uh, in Job 19. And so immediately you see Zophar, he can't uh, accept what Job has said. And so what we are going to hear Zophar say is he is going to strengthen uh, Bildad's argument for Job. He is going to stand up, he's going to strengthen the argument that Bildad brought, but then he's also going to take everything that Job had said in Job 19 and push it toward, push it against, uh, and turn it against Job, and say, no, Job, you're, you're wrong in what you're saying. It actually means this. So where Job is indicating that what he has faced, the hardship that he's endured, the alienation that he's experienced, um, Zophar is actually going to turn that. And he's going to say, no, this is an indication of the wicked. So he's going to go back to using Bildad's language of a wicked man. Uh, so if you see there, he, he asks this question up front, or he looks at this up front in verse 4. He says, surely you know how it has been from of old ever since mankind was placed on the earth. So he's starting his argument with Job here by saying, let's keep in mind how things have always been. You're not an exception to the rule. You're not different to anybody else. This is how it has always been. If you do something wrong, if you sin, if you oppose God, if you challenge him, if you go against him, you will suffer. If you use uh, this world to gain and grow and be prosperous for yourself, uh, you will suffer at the hand of God. You will give it back eventually. And this is how he is going to build his argument. And he's going to unpack that further as he goes. Verse 5, that the mirth of the wicked is brief and the joy of the godless lasts but a moment. And so you see him honing in on that idea that Bildad brought previously to the evil, the wicked man. And here he is saying it in verse 5, that the mirth of the wicked is brief and the joy of the godless lasts but a moment. And so he's not just saying this for any reason. He is trying to, to push back. Uh, this is quite almost like a school ground uh, situation taking place. Job has gotten to a point where he's willing to rebuke. He's willing to stand his ground. He's willing to speak the truth despite his, his position, despite his circumstance. And immediately you have Zophar that follows him, almost shoving back and saying, no, it's not like that. This is how it is. And it becomes this back and forth, suddenly this back and forth argument between uh, Bildad, Job and Zophar, as if he is being thrown between the two of them. And then notice verse 6, what, what Zophar does. As he is dishonored, 
And in light of what uh, Job said in, the pre, in, in Job's response in, in Job 19, uh, there was an issue of pride. But notice how Zophar flips it. And now he says, though the pride of the godless person reaches to the heavens and his head touches the clouds. And so interesting, interestingly enough is what Zophar is doing here is he's trying to put Job amongst the proud and saying that Job is a proud one, not them. Job is the one whose head is touching the clouds, who is who is thinking more highly of himself than he ought. Uh, verse 7, he will perish forever like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? And so he's, it's quite a strong, strong uh, remark that he's making there. He's saying essentially... Uh, He's saying, you will perish forever like your own poo, he is saying to, uh, to Job. And people won't even know who you are. People will forget who you are. And so it's quite a, a messy kind of argument that he is throwing at, at Job here. It's a, it's, a, it's a gritty, dirty kind of argument that he is using. And then he carries on to just talk about the fleetingness of uh, a wicked person. So notice in verse 8, Like a dream he flies away, no more to be found, banished like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will not see him again. His place will look for him no more. His children uh, must make amends to the poor. His own hands must give back his wealth. And so the argument now shifts gears and it goes further. So not only will he be forgotten uh, by everybody and anybody, uh, he's now his, what he has acquired, what he's achieved in his life, his successes that he has used, he's managed to acquire because of his wickedness, he will have to pay back. But when he says your own hand will pay it back, it is your own flesh. So your children must make amends. His own hands must give back his wealth. Uh, the youthful vigor that fills his bones will lie with him in the dust. He says everything that you are will eventually go to the grave. You, you won't be able to take any of this. You won't have any of this. And so you see how this... he. Zophar, from the get-go, he's pushing back. He's pushing against everything that Job has said. Let's read on. It says in verse 12, Though evil is sweet in his mouth, and he hides it under his tongue, <clears throat> though he cannot bear it, bear to let it go, and let it linger in his mouth, yet his food will turn sour in his stomach. It will become the venom of serpents within him. He will spit out the riches he swallowed. God will make his stomach vomit them up. Uh, he will suck the poison of serpents. The fangs of an adder will kill him. And so as he's building this argument, he's saying that, well, first of all, Job, you, you're holding onto this evil. You're holding it in your mouth. It's, it's, it's sweet to you. But as you hold onto this evil in your mouth, as you, as you savor is the, the kind of image that you're given. Uh, when you hold something in your mouth, you, you, you leave it there because you want to savor the flavor. It's like a good chocolate. You pop it in your mouth. And if it's so good, you, you almost don't want to swallow it because that, that moment will be gone so quickly. So you want to hold it in your mouth. You want to enjoy the flavor. You want to enjoy the taste. And this is what Zophar is saying here. The, the taste of evil, uh, though evil is sweet in your mouth, 
uh, and he hides it under his tongue. You, you store it. You store it in your mouth. You're trying to enjoy the flavor. But as a result, what you have swallowed will go sour. What is in your stomach will go sour. And then he says, uh, and it will become a venom of serpents within you. So the very things that you digest, the things that you take in will become a venom within you. And then eventually he turns it and uh, he, he shifts it from the swallowing, the savoring, the swallowing aspect to this regurgitating image that he gives, this, this vomiting as he uses. He says he will spit out the riches he swallowed. God will make his stomach vomit them up. I mean, if there was ever a, a, um, a quite a graphic um, verse or, or chapter in the Bible, this is this is one of those where um, where Zophar is pulling out all the stops when it comes to using uh, images such as feces, human dung, poo, uh, or vomiting. I, I mean. For what reason? It's possibly just the, the body's way of rejecting. And so he's using that as a way of demonstrating what will happen. Your body passes things. It, it brings things up. It gets rid of what it shouldn't have in it. And things that lose value, it, is, it, it disposes of it. And so Zophar is using those images, those things that are familiar to people. And he is saying the very wealth, the very prosperity, the very life that you have is going to expel anything and everything that is good. And, and just like your own body does it when things lose value or when you're sick or whatever the case may be, that is going to happen to you. And, and so it's quite a... Quite a gross uh, picture that he paints, but this is the kind of picture that you have of what he's saying will happen to a wicked person. A wicked person, though they savor the evil and the wickedness under their tongue, uh, the body will expel anything that has potential to be good uh, or anything that they may have held on to. Uh, and then that final part in verse 16, he will suck the poison of serpents, the fangs of an adder will kill him. And essentially he is saying, not only is your body going to expel what is good, but you're actually going to try and uh, absorb what is bad. And so he uses this image. Uh, if you pick up what he said before, you, you savor, you put uh, evil under your tongue as well as you allow the venom to, to enter you. Uh, notice the way it's phrased. It's not the usual way. Verse 16, he will suck the poison of serpents. The wicked person will suck the poison of serpents. Uh, why? Nobody would do that. Uh, but it invites that image that you will you'll allow it to happen. Uh, it, you know, you have this picture of a of someone that's tough. You know, being able to take on any poison, any venom. You know, show how tough you are. And he's saying, well, you as a as an evil, a wicked person, you'll invite that in. You'll invite in the venom, the poison, the things of this world that are uh, that will destroy and kill, and it will kill you. There is no way of getting around it. So just to pause there, what Zophar is saying to Job is he's defending first himself. Zophar is defending himself, saying his honor has been attacked and he needs to defend himself. And then he attacks Job and says, you're evil, you're wicked, you show pride uh, and you hold on to evil while your body dispels all that is good. Uh, but it's because of that evil that you are dispelling what is good. You are shedding anything that was ever good 
but it's because of the evil in you. It's because of the evil that you hold on to. It's because of the evil that you savor that you are losing all of this. And so before we carry on, we need to just take stock. Is this true for Job? Is this true for the one that actually in the last, uh, ver- uh, the last chapter said something as beautiful as this? I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him. With my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Is the one that yearns to be in God's presence, in his company, is that the same one that Zophar is speaking about here? Could it be? Or could it be that Zophar is on a mission to prove that Job has wickedness and evilness in him. And that is why he is, all of his life is dispelling, getting rid of anything that was ever good. It gets you to wonder. But let's see where Zophar goes with this. In verse, uh, verse 17, he says, He will not enjoy the streams, the rivers flowing with honey and cream. What he toiled for, he must give back uneaten. He will not enjoy the profit from his trading. For he has oppressed the poor and left them destitute. He has seized houses he did not build. And so immediately you have this picture of Job is no longer going to have the privilege of enjoying what life has to offer. He is not able to enjoy the the rivers flowing with honey and cream. The picture of 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 wellness, of goodness, of life, of of absolute enjoyment. He won't enjoy that. In verse 18, all the toiling, all that he, he put into uh, this world, all the things that he did, he will have to give back uneaten because he didn't earn it rightly. He didn't earn it honestly. Uh, he will not enjoy the profit from his trading. And so everything here that Zophar is saying, he is saying it with the suggestion that Job hasn't done it out of honesty, out of sincerity. He's been prideful. He's been wicked. He's been evil in the way he's done his business. And then he says, for he has oppressed the poor and left them destitute. He has seized houses he did not build. And so there Zophar makes it plain as daylight. He makes it clear that this is this must be what Job has done. He has done stuff in a wicked way, in an evil way. He's prospered off the backs of the poor, off the backs of those that cannot defend and stand up for themselves. Verse 20, Surely he will have no respite from his craving. He cannot save himself by his treasure. Nothing is left for him to devour. His prosperity will not endure. In the midst of his plenty, distress will overtake him. The full force of his misery will come upon him. And so he just continues to paint this picture uh, that, as he says, uh, from his craving, he cannot save himself by his treasures. There is nothing that he is holding on to that can save him. And furthermore, all of those things will fade away. They will not endure, as he says. And so 
we see this picture kind of unfolding and you can see how Zophar is using uh, Job's circumstance to, to paint his argument. As he says in verse 22, in the midst of his plenty, distress will overtake him. We, we are introduced to Job most likely at the height of his prosperity, at the height of his wealth, at the height of all that he was. He had children, he had possessions, he had livestock, he had servants, he had, he had so much. And suddenly distress begins to overtake uh, all that he has. And then that last part of verse 22, the full force of misery will come upon him. And so what is happening to Job, where we meet Job and what starts to take place is the unfolding of the full force of misery that is coming upon him. And then let's turn to verse 23. Uh, when he has filled his belly, God will vent his burning anger against him and rain down his blows on him. Though he flees from an iron weapon, a bronze-tipped arrow pierces him. He pulls it out of his back, the gleaming point out of his liver. Terrors will come over him. Total darkness lies in wait for his treasures. A fire unfanned will consume him and devour what is left in his tent. The heavens will expose his guilt. The earth will rise up against him. A flood will carry off his house, rushing waters on the day of God's wrath. And so uh, from 23 to 28, you, you, you really get this picture that as Job's belly reaches its fullness, as he, he reaches the peak of his prosperity, as he has got everything that he needs, he will feel the onslaught of God, that his pride, his possessions, his prosperity, everything as he has acquired it out of wickedness and evil will be overcome by God. And so notice that this is really the argument that, that Zophar is trying to use against Job. That Job has done some evil things, some wicked things to be the man that he is, or at least was. That everything that he has is a result of his wickedness. And so he is saying that everything that he faces is that attack that God has brought upon him. And so what makes it interesting is that where Job has said, God has wronged me, uh, Zophar is essentially saying that God has righted. Uh, God has done what is right and what you deserve. Uh, and so you can see how he's, he's, he's turned Job's argument and saying, no, 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 you have done evil, you've done wicked things, and now you are facing it. Not only that, but he picks up on some of the images that Job has heard. Job has used. Job uses the language of God firing uh, arrows into his flesh and, and being pierced by arrows. And then verse 24, you hear how, how Zophar uses it again, but turns it against him, saying, Though he flees from an iron weapon, a bronze-tipped arrow pierces him. He pulls it out of his back, the gleaming point out of his liver. Terrors will, over, uh, terrors will come over him. And so as soon as you start hearing that terrors will come over him, again you hear Job's voice saying how he is experiencing terror. Uh, at night as he closes his eyes, he struggles to sleep, he fears, he, he has terror. And so you get that picture coming into focus again as they're using Job's words. These aren't new words. They're, they're hearing some of the stuff that Job is saying, but they're turning it against him. 
And so they, they attack. And Zophar challenges Job here. But you hear the sharpness in Zophar's words. You hear the, the punches that he, he swings at Job. And in such a sense, you, you, you feel the weight of how Zophar is now at a point where he has been dishonored and now he wants to speak. He wants to have his chance to fight. Uh, he's affected. He is hurt. He is, uh, his pride is, is damaged by what Job has said. And now he is set out to, to do the same or to at least try and speak what he thinks is truth. Uh, truth that he believes he has been taught uh, from the past generations, from the beginning of all things. So keeping in mind that Zophar is the one that introduces wisdom, and so he's trying to use the wisdom of age-old wisdom at this point to try and convey that what is happening to Job is supposed to be uh, wisdom, that this is how it should, this is how it is. Notice that he uses the words, uh, in verse 3, uh, the second part, and my understanding inspires me to reply. Uh, Zophar wants to use his understanding, his wisdom, to reply to Job and to correct Job. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, we have, as the reader, a slightly different understanding and perspective of what is going on. Notice the final thing that he says in verse 29. Uh, he says, after everything that he has said here, he sums it up by saying, Such is the fate God allots the wicked, the heritage appointed for them by God. This is what you will inherit. This is what you will get. Um, and it's maybe you want to say, but, but is he really saying this to, to Job? Is it not perhaps hypothetical? And that he's saying, well, here's, a, here's an example of a person. Maybe, maybe you want to say, no, but he's not saying it so harshly or so directly. The problem is that if this was not part of Zophar's argument, if he wasn't arguing against Job here, if his pride wasn't affected, or if he's not trying to defend himself in some other way, why would he use this as an argument? Why would he put this all together and say this? Otherwise, he would be falling into the category that uh, that they have also said, and Job has, has used a similar phrase, that there would be like a hot east wind, uh, or this wind coming in from the desert that would be useless. But they are so convinced that what they are saying is true, because they've learned it, they've been taught it, it's been handed down from generation to generation, and this must be true, and it must be true for the circumstance that Job is in. And so, such is the fate God allots the wicked, the heritage appointed to them by God. And so Zophar concludes by highlighting the fact that what Job is facing is his fate. Uh, and this is his fate because he is wicked, because he is inheriting what he now deserves. And so what do you make of this? What do you do with a passage like this? It is terribly frustrating because we as the reader will look at this and hopefully by now you're reminded continually to look back at what God has told us. That Job is blameless. He is upright. He fears God and he shuns evil. Then how can this be true? How can what Zophar says here be true of Job? 
well, this is part of the argument. This, this needs to stir you. This hopefully will get you frustrated, maybe fired up to want to argue on Job's part. And so we need to pause there. And as we come back to uh, Job's response next week, hopefully you'll be ready to go and ready to dig in to see how Job is going to handle this and how he's going to respond. But before we, uh, we're not going to unpack this any further. But rather soak in it, soak in the frustration of it, soak in the, the language that's suddenly used, the, the, the dirty language that is used in, such a, in, so, in so many ways. And hopefully it gets you, uh, yeah, gets you stirred up uh, to want to see how things progress and gets you to also remember who Job is in light of what Zophar says. That what Zophar says doesn't define who Job is, but what God says does. So may you contemplate that over the next week. And as we come to Job's, hopefully it draws you in and gets you to think a little bit deeper about who Job is, but ultimately who God is and what God's wisdom looks like. So may you wrestle with this. May it stir you. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you next week as we look at the next passage. Cheers. Bye.